Hello and welcome to episode two of Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather and I have a confession to make. On our first episode, I did not actually start reading Alice's Adventures in Wonderland to you from the beginning. And I did it for purely selfish reasons. Before chapter one, before Alice even falls down the rabbit hole, there is a poem that serves as a preface to the whole book. It's a beautiful poem, but it can be a little confusing and hard to understand if you don't know the backstory. So I skipped it on the first episode because, to be honest, I was afraid people would tune in, expecting some really familiar, whimsical prose, and instead hear some really hard to understand poetry, and then just turn the whole thing off, and my podcasting career would be over. It would just it'd be over before it began. I just didn't want it to be the first thing people heard. So I apologize to all of my Carolian purists out there, and I will read the poem to you now. It's called All in the Golden Afternoon. All in the golden afternoon, full leisurely we glide, for both our oars with little skill by little arms are plied, while little hands make vain pretense our wanderings to guide. Ah, cruel three, in such an hour, beneath such dreamy weather, to beg a tale of breath too weak to stir the tiniest feather. Yet what can one poor voice avail against three tongues together? Imperious prima flashes forth her edict to begin it. In gentler tones, Secunda hopes there will be nonsense in it, while Tertia interrupts the tale not more than once a minute. Anon, to sudden silence one, in fancy they pursue, the dream child moving through a land of wonders wild and new, in friendly chat with bird or beast, and half believe it true. And ever as the story drained the wells of fancy dry, and faintly strove that weary one to put the subject by, the rest next time, it is next time, the happy voices cry. Thus grew the tale of Wonderland, thus slowly, one by one, its quaint events were hammered out, and now the tale is done, and home we steer a merry crew beneath the setting sun. Alice, a childish story take, and with a gentle hand, lay it where childhood's dreams are twined in memory's mystic band, like pilgrim's withered wreath of flowers plucked in a far-off land. Isn't that nice? Now you're probably wondering what's going on here. What is going on is... Lewis Carroll is describing the boat ride he took with the real Alice when he told the story of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland for the first time. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. There's a real Alice. Mm-hmm. I know. So, starting from the beginning, Lewis Carroll's real name was Charles Lutwich Dodson. Charles spent all of his adult life living and working at Christ Church College in Oxford. That's in England. Charles enjoyed spending time with children. We will talk a lot about that at a later time. But for now, let's just leave it at that. He enjoyed spending time with children, and he particularly enjoyed the company of the children of the dean of Christ Church College. He would go on walks with them. He would take their photos. Photography was a burgeoning art form at the time. And sometimes he would take them for rowboat rides up the Thames and have a picnic. This poem describes one fateful day, July 4th, 1862 to be exact, when Charles and his friend the Reverend Robinson Duckworth 
took the dean's daughters, Edith, Lorena, and Alice, on just such an excursion. Now, the girl's last name is Little, spelled L-I-D-D-E-L-L, but it's pronounced Little. So when he's talking about little hands and little arms in the first stanza, he's riffing on their last name, which is kind of fun. And basically what's going on in the poem is the kids are all, tell us a story. And Charles is all, ugh, fine. Uh, the, the oldest daughter, Lorena, is apparently pretty bossy. In the poem, she's prima. She orders him to begin the story. Alice, the middle daughter, is secunda. She's a little nicer, apparently. She's just hoping there's going to be some nonsense in the story. Edith, the youngest, is tertia, and she interrupts not more than once a minute which is exactly what one would expect of a seven-year-old. I believe that's how old she was at the time, six or seven. Don't quote me on that. Charles gets tired and wants to finish next time, but the girls just won't give him a break, so he keeps going. And thank goodness he did, because that is how we got the tale of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. At least that is my very oversimplified version of events. So again, we'll get into much more detail in later episodes. But right now... We need to see what's going on with Alice. When we last left our hero, she was stuck in the hallway of doors and she had just eaten a cake marked Eat Me, and she was wondering if she was going to grow or shrink. Chapter 2, The Pool of Tears. Curiouser and curiouser, cried Alice. She was so much surprised that for the moment she quite forgot how to speak good English. Now I'm opening out like the largest telescope that ever was. Goodbye, feet. For when she looked down at her feet, they seemed to be almost out of sight they were getting so far off. Oh, my poor little feet. I wonder who will put on your shoes and stockings for you now, dears. I'm sure I shan't be able. I shall be a great deal too far off to trouble myself about you. You must manage the best way you can. Oh, but I must be kind to them, thought Alice. Or perhaps they won't walk the way I want to go. Let me see. I'll give them a new pair of boots every Christmas. And she went on planning to herself how she would manage it. They must go by the carrier, she thought, and how funny it'll seem, sending presents to one own feet. And how odd the directions will look. Alice's right foot, Esquire, hearthrug, near the fender, with Alice's love. Oh dear, what nonsense I'm talking. Just at this moment, her head struck against the roof of the hall. In fact, she was now rather more than nine feet high, and she at once took up the little golden key and hurried off to the garden door. Poor Alice. It was as much as she could do, lying down on one side, to look through into the garden with one eye. But to get through was more hopeless than ever. She sat down and began to cry again. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, said Alice, a great girl like you. She might well say this. To go on crying in this way, stop this moment, I tell you. But she went on all the same, shedding gallons of tears, until there was a large pool all round her, about four inches deep and reaching half down the hall. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance, and she hastily dried her eyes to see what was coming. It was a white rabbit returning, splendidly dressed, with a pair of white kid gloves in one hand and a large fan in the other. He came trotting along in a great hurry, muttering to himself as he came, Oh, the Duchess, the Duchess! Oh, won't she be savage if I've kept her waiting? Alice felt so desperate that she was ready to ask help of anyone, so when the rabbit came near her, she began in a low, timid voice, If you please, sir. The rabbit started violently, dropped the white kid gloves and the fan, and scurried away into the darkness as hard as he could go. Alice took up the fan and gloves, and as the hall was very hot, she kept fanning herself all the time she went on talking. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. And yesterday things went on just as usual. I wonder if I've been changed in the night. 
Let me think. Was I the same when I got up this morning? I almost think I can remember feeling a little different. But if I'm not the same, the next question is, who in the world am I? Ah, that's the great puzzle. And she began thinking over all the children she knew that were of the same age as herself to see if she could have been chained for any of them. I'm sure I'm not Ada, she said, for her hair goes in such long ringlets, and mine doesn't go in ringlets at all. And I'm sure I can't be Mabel, for I know all sorts of things, and she, ugh, she knows such a very little. Besides, she's she, and I'm I, and... Oh dear, how puzzling it all is. I'll try if I know all the things I used to know. Let me see. Four times five is twelve, and four times six is thirteen, and four times seven is... Oh dear, I shall never get to twenty at that rate. However, the multiplication table doesn't signify. Let's try to geography. London is the capital of Paris, and Paris is the capital of Rome. And Rome... No, that's all wrong. I'm certain I must have been changed for Mabel. I'll try and say, how doth the little. And she crossed her hands on her lap, as if she were saying lessons, and began to repeat it. But her voice sounded hoarse and strange, and the words did not come the same as they used to do. How doth the little crocodile improve his shining tail and pour the waters of the Nile on every golden scale? How cheerfully he seems to grin, how neatly spreads his claws, and welcomes little fishes in, with gently smiling jaws. Oh, I'm sure those are not the right words, said poor Alice, and her eyes filled with tears again as she went on. I must be Mabel after all, and I shall have to go and live in that pokey little house and have next to no toys to play with, and oh, ever so many lessons to learn. No, I've made up my mind about it. If I'm Mabel, I'll stay down here. It'll be no use their putting their heads down and saying, Come up again, dear. I shall only look up and say, Who am I then? Tell me that first, and then if I like being that person, I'll come up. If not, I'll stay down here until I'm somebody else. But, oh dear, cried Alice with a sudden burst of tears. I do wish they would put their heads down. I am so very tired of being all alone here. As she said this, she looked down at her hands and was surprised to see that she had put on one of the rabbit's little white kid gloves while she was talking. Well, how can I have done that, she thought. I must be growing small again. She got up and went to the table to measure herself by it and found that, as nearly as she could guess, she was now about two feet high and was going on shrinking rapidly. She soon found out that the cause of this was the fan she was holding, and she dropped it hastily, just in time to save herself from shrinking away altogether. That was a narrow escape, said Alice, a good deal frightened at the sudden change, but very glad to find herself still in existence. And now for the garden. And she ran with all speed back to the little door, but alas, the little door was shut again, and the little golden key was lying on the glass table as before. And things are worse than ever, thought the poor child, for I never was so small as this before, never. And I declare it's too bad, that it is. As she said these words, her foot slipped, and in another moment, splash, she was up to her chin in salt water. Her first idea was that she had somehow fallen into the sea, and in that case I can go back by railway, she said to herself. Alice had been to the seaside once in her life and had come to the general conclusion that wherever you go on the English coast, you find a number of bathing machines in the sea, some children digging in the sand with wooden spades, then a row of lodging houses, and behind them a railway station. However, she soon made out that she was in the pool of tears which she had wept when she was nine feet high. I wish I hadn't cried so much, said Alice, as she swam about, trying to find her way out. I shall be punished for it now, I suppose, by being drowned in my own tears. That will be a queer thing, to be sure. 
However, everything is queer today. Just then she heard something splashing about in the pool a little way off, and she swam nearer to make out what it was. At first she thought it must be a walrus or hippopotamus, but then she remembered how small she was, and she soon made out that it was only a mouse that had slipped in like herself. Would it be of any use now, thought Alice, to speak to this mouse? Everything is so out of the way down here that I should think very likely it can talk. At any rate, there's no harm in trying. So she began. Oh, mouse, do you know the way out of this pool? I'm very tired of swimming about here, oh, mouse. Alice thought this might be the right way of speaking to a mouse. She had never done such a thing before, but she remembered having seen, in her brother's Latin grammar, a mouse, of a mouse, to a mouse, a mouse, oh, mouse. The mouse looked at her rather inquisitively and seemed to her to wink with one of its little eyes, but it said nothing. Perhaps it doesn't understand English, thought Alice. I dare say it's a French mouse come over with William the Conqueror. For with all her knowledge of history, Alice had no very clear notion how long ago anything had happened. So she began again, Oui, es ma chatte? Which was the first sentence in her French lesson book. The mouse gave a sudden leap out of the water and seemed to quiver all over with fright. Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice hastily, afraid that she had quite hurt the poor animal's feelings. I quite forgot you don't like cats. Not like cats, cried the mouse in a shrill, passionate voice. Would you like cats if you were me? Well, perhaps not, said Alice in a soothing tone. Don't be angry about it. And yet I wish I could show you our cat, Dinah. I think you'd take a fancy to cats if only you could see her. She is such a dear quiet thing, Alice went on, half to herself as she swam lazily about in the pool. And she sits purring so nicely by the fire, licking her paws and washing her face. And she is such a nice, soft thing to nurse, and she's such a capital one for catching mice. <gasps> oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice again, for this time the mouse was bristling all over, and she felt certain it must really be offended. We won't talk about her any more if you'd rather not. We indeed, cried the mouse, who was trembling down to the end of its tail, as if I would talk on such a subject. Our family always hated cats, nasty, low, vulgar things. Don't let me hear the name again. I won't indeed, said Alice, in a great hurry to change the subject of conversation. Are you are you fond of, of dogs? The mouse did not answer, so Alice went on eagerly. There is such a nice little dog near her house I should like to show you. A little bright-eyed terrier, you know, with oh, such long curly brown hair. And it'll fetch things when you throw them. And it'll sit up and beg for its dinner and all sorts of things. I can't remember half of them. And it belongs to a farmer, you know, and he says it's so useful, it's worth a hundred pounds. He says it kills all the rats, and, oh dear, cried Alice again in a sorrowful tone. I'm afraid I've offended it again, for the mouse was swimming away from her as hard as it could go, and making quite a commotion in the pool as it went. So she called softly after it, Mouse dear, do come back again, and we won't talk about cats or dogs either if you don't like them. When the mouse heard this, it turned round and swam slowly back to her. Its face was quite pale, with passion, Alice thought, and it said in a low, trembling voice, Let us get to the shore, and then I'll tell you my history, and you'll understand why it is I hate cats and dogs. It was high time to go, for the pool was getting quite crowded with the birds and animals that had fallen into it. There was a duck and a dodo, a lorry and an eaglet, and several other curious creatures. Alice led the way, and the whole party swam to shore. And that is the end of chapter two.
Now, chapter two, the very first words, contain the very quotable quote, curiouser and curiouser, which launches a somewhat bizarro monologue from Alice, wondering if she'll grow too tall to see her feet again and have to communicate with them via the mail. Now, regarding this particular conversation with herself, there's a book I like called The Philosopher's Alice, and in it, the author, Peter Heath, comments that when Alice is talking to herself and about herself, when she says, I, she's really referring only to where her head is, right? I is really her brain, which is probably how we all think of ourselves, really. So, our burning question was answered. Eating the cake at the end of chapter one made Alice grow larger, a lot larger, rather more than nine feet high. Directly after this is one of the only sentences in the book that I actually find kind of scary. I mentioned before that I don't agree with the, the notion that Alice's adventures in Wonderland is scary at all, but for some reason, I find this sentence terrifying. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance, and she hastily dried her eyes to see what was coming. What was coming? Not who. What? It just sounds like a horror movie to me. Anyway, it doesn't actually turn out to be anything terrifying at all. It's just the white rabbit making an appearance in which he makes the first mention of the Duchess, who is apparently someone he's terrified of. Now, for those keeping score at home, when he leaves, we get our second quotable quote of the chapter. Who in the world am I? Ah, that's the great puzzle. That's is an italic, so the emphasis is Lewis Carroll's, not mine. Now, in answer to who in the world am I, Alice starts going through the girls she knows and eliminating them one by one which I think is one of the funniest passages of the book. I mean, I guess it's logical, but that's going to take an awful long time to find yourself if you're going to use the process of elimination on everyone you've ever met. <laughs> now, the first draft of this story, Lewis Carroll used the names of a few of Alice's cousins as the examples of girls she is not. He changed that for publication, I'm guessing, because poor Mabel doesn't come across very well. You know, what with her her pokey little house and knowing so very little. This chapter contains our first instance of Alice shrinking or growing without ingesting something. I have no idea if that's significant in the least. I just thought I'd mention it. Uh, using the fan that the rabbit, rabbit dropped is what makes her shrink this time. And now that she's nice and small again, she of course cannot reach that elusive key that she wants in order to get into the little door with the beautiful garden beyond it. And worse than that, she slips into a pool of her own tears. She comes across a mouse, who she addresses rather comically as O Mouse, because she caught a glimpse of that in her brother's Latin book. And I swear to you, the listener, I once read an essay that was written about the real Alice's brother's Latin textbook. And if you find that strange, keep in mind that I'm babbling to a bunch of strangers about Alice in Wonderland just, just because. There's just so many people who are obsessed with Alice in Wonderland. We are legion. Oh, and you're not going to believe this, but I don't speak French. <laughs> and it occurred to me as I was getting into this chapter, I really should have uh, looked up how to pronounce that French phrase that Alice said to the mouse. Obviously, it had something to do with a cat because it offended him. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, neglected to do that. Now, when Alice is talking to the mouse, she puts her foot in her mouth by bringing up her cat Dinah and does it again when she mentions the friendly neighborhood rat-killing dog. And by the time they're done talking, a whole host of animals have fallen into the pool of tears, including a duck and a dodo, 
a lorry and an eaglet. Now, remember how we started this episode with a poem all in the golden afternoon about a boat ride with Lewis Carroll, Alice, Edith, Lorena, and the Reverend Duckworth? Well, the lorry in the pool of tears is Lorena, the eaglet is Edith, the duck is the Reverend Duckworth, and the dodo is Lewis Carroll himself. We're positive about the duck and the dodo because Lewis Carroll once gave his friend, the Reverend Duckworth, a book and he inscribed on it to the duck from the dodo, paraphrasing there. I'm not sure Lewis Carroll ever outright stated that the lorry and eaglet were Lorena and Edith, but that's kind of the accepted knowledge. I think it's pretty obvious. So they all decide to exit the pool and swim to shore, and that is how the chapter ends. And now we have to wait and see what happens next time in chapter three, which is entitled A Caucus Race and a Long Tail. On a personal note, I feel I owe a debt to Lewis Carroll because of this Pool of Tears chapter. I borrowed, we'll stick with that phrase, borrowed uh, the whole Pool of Tears concept when I was in junior high. A local radio station was having a contest to win George Michael tickets, and the only rules were you had to show how much you wanted to go in the most creative way possible. So I sent them a big jar of salt water and said it was the tears I cried when I learned the concert was sold out. And I won! Yay! Now, much to my chagrin, I was under 18, so I had to take my mother instead of my best friend Alexis, who had also entered the contest, and we made a pact to take the other person if one of us won. But I digress. Thanks to Lewis Carroll, I went to my first big-time concert, and I have loved live music ever since. Guys, do you want to talk? Let's talk. I am on, I believe, every social media platform imaginable. On Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Google+. I am Alice's Everywhere, no spaces. On Twitter and Pinterest, I am Everywhere Alice, merely because of character limits. I am most active on Facebook and Tumblr because that's where I've gotten the best response. I'm least active on Google+, because I don't understand it and nobody seems to be there. But rest assured, if you reach out to me on any platform, I should see it fairly quickly. Again, that is username Alice is Everywhere on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Google+, and Everywhere Alice on Twitter and Pinterest. And now I am going to crawl out of this pool of tears, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.